Okay, there we go. All right. So we're going to go on with our series today. And uh, what we are um, asking for, or what our plan for today is, is we want to go through chapter three. We went through um, in our last, in chapter two, we went through the four first four churches, right? Um, we, we talked about Ephesus. Ephesus was the hardworking mega church. It had great doctrine, kept everything clean that way, but somehow in the busyness had lost its first love, and Jesus was not pleased with that church for that specific reason. Then we talked about Smyrna. Smyrna was a persecuted church, and they were so persecuted that they literally had pretty much lost everything, and they were pretty destitute. But even though they were going through those kinds of challenges, Jesus said that even though you are dealing with poverty, spiritually you are rich. And uh, one of the challenges that the church of Smyrna shows us is that just because you're going through bad things doesn't mean that God doesn't think good things about you. All right. Then there was Pergamos. Pergamos was the church in the political center of Asia Minor. It was known as a place that was a hub for Satan's activity in the region. Jesus said that Satan's seat was there. Um, and while it had done great work, it was also a place that was dealing and struggling with compromise, that there were those that had the doctrine of Balaam. Balaam was the one who said, you know, you can't curse what God has blessed, but if you get something, if you get God's people to do something that's cursed, um, then they'll get the benefit or they'll get the consequence of their actions. And then there was also those that uh, had the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Now, Ephesus had rebelled and pushed away the Nicolaitan doctrine, which says, hey, it's all just, we just all one big happy family. It's all many ways to God. Um, and of course, those kinds of things happen today because Nicolaitan people don't believe that there's absolute truth, that there is an absolute right or wrong, that, you know, we got to be progressive and we want the Bible to modify to the times. Well, a lot of the things that we're trying to get the Bible to modify to have been around a long time and they weren't right then and they not right now. Right. So the Nicolaitan thing um, and, and Jesus was very specific that if y'all don't deal with this stuff, I'm coming to fight. And if Jesus coming to fight, it's not your chances are not good there. All right. And then last week we dealt with Thyatira. Thyatira was a church that um, let an unrepentant minister openly teach false doctrine and gain converts. Um, some said that um, some believe, and there's there's biblical reasons to believe it, that she um, potentially was the pastor's spouse. And I said, hey, that you know, we use the term in church. Um, certainly, I didn't I didn't plan it that I would come out of a teaching like that, talking about a Jezebel, and then come into my my um, Mother's Day message talking about. God using strong women to minister, but, you know, God knows what he's doing. And so, um, and we, we said some things that uh, sometimes there is um, Jezebel 
Jezebel spirits that are um, flowing off music ministry. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's a big, big deal. And if you remember, what did, what did they want them to do? They wanted them to bow down to some kind of foreign God. And if you think about a lot of the times that in, in the quote-unquote gospel music industry, you know, we always have in this gospel singer with this secular singer, you know, Snoop Dogg or Kanye or somebody else, right? Now, these people, you t they told you they was heathen. You're not surprised by that, are you? They told you, all right? So why you got them up here trying to mix with your stuff, right? So that that that's that whole um, thing. And so when 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 that spirit, that Jezebel thing, that tries to infiltrate God's God's um, holy platform and place with sanctioning from those in authority. Because that's the significance of it. Jezebel, that, that teacher, he said, you, you have given her a space to teach. And she calls herself a prophetess, which means Jesus hadn't called her to preach. But because they had sanctioned it, then they were in trouble. And he said, I had given her time to repent and her time is up. I'm coming to deal with it now. All right. And, and the people that were being influenced by her. He was coming to deal with them, too, if they didn't step away from her. And so I've been like, uh, I got that wrong, Jesus. Um, I think I need to move in a different direction. Right. You get a you get a letter like this, you know, from from the Apostle John, then you, you should be trying to make some changes. Now, Jesus pronounced judgment on her and her children and commended those who held the truth. He declared that he was going to make a public example of her for all the churches. So when I deal with you, all of the churches will know, you know, <laughs> and I said last week, I, I, my, I understand that current of terminology because my parents were youth ministers. And so they told me when they get done dealing with me, ain't nobody else in the, in the youth ministry was going to mess up. All right. And so he was like, I'm going to handle it. And, and this will be a lesson that people will see what happens to you and they will never want to do that again. Okay, so those were those were the churches that we dealt with there. Today we're going to see if I can get through all three of the um, churches in Revelation chapter three, which is Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Let's see if we can get this done. Revelation three. We're going to read verses one through six, and it says. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The seven spirits of God talking about the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and the seven stars talking about the picture of the leaders, the pastors of those churches. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Oh, Lord. You got a name. People think you got a great church going on, but ain't nothing really going on. You dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. Even though the church is dead, not everything within the church is dead. 
because he says, strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Ah, but you still have a few names. Even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So eight keys on the church of Sardis. Number one, Sardis was a very wealthy city that was 32 miles from Pergamos and 27 miles from, from Philadelphia. In pre-Roman times, it had, been cap it had been the capital of a Greek kingdom named Lydia. It was thought impenetrable. It thought, it, they thought it was so fortified that it couldn't be taken because it was situated up on a mountain and had some natural fortifications around it, um, but was captured by a king who slipped in, watch this, like a thief to an unguarded area of the city. But by the Roman time, had come into decline. See, when Jesus is making these statements, he's making references to things that are very important to each of the areas, all right? Number two, the church of Sardis had a reputation that didn't match its character. People thought of it as alive, but Jesus saw it as dead. Lord, 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 Lord. Now, if you want to know What's bad if a church's reputation outruns its character? Because reputation can be based on stuff that happened in the past. Clearly, at a time, there was a time when this church had life, but somewhere along the line, the reputation kept going, but the church didn't. All right? So that tells us something here about life in the church or life in ministry um, that, that you can run out, that it can run out, right? Now, there, there's people that say, well, it'll never, you can, it does nothing, nothing will happen that'll ever separate you. Well, this is Jesus talking. He's talking to churches. So clearly, you can start one way and not finish that way if you aren't maintaining your ongoing relationship with the Lord. Now, that's true at a personal level. But now he's talking. He's not even talking about personal level. He's talking about churches. Because he's going to say, even within this dead church, there's some people that are still alive. But he's saying the church as a whole has death in it. All right. Look at number three. Remember what I call the haves and the have nots. <laughs> Even a dead church has some living things within it. Jesus said, don't let those part that are living die. Look at Matthew 25, 28 through 30. This is a tail end part of the. Um, of the parable of the talents, right, the one with the one, two and the five. Then he talks about the one with the one. 
He says, therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away, will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Even the have nots have. Got that? That's why I call it the have and the have nots. Because he said those that have more will be given. But those that have not, even what they have will be taken away. And so Jesus is saying the church is dead, but there's still some living among you. You got to hold that fast because what you have being around that death can get taken from you. So you got to be careful about how how how, you know, as a as a pastor, I look at this and I'm asking questions. What would you say about the life of a congregation in a medical industry? They will tell you. You know, if a person has diabetes and then gangrene sets in, they don't just cut the dead part. They cut some of the live part, too. Why? Because the death will get in on the live part and it'll keep infecting the person. And so um, we have to be we have to be sensitive that death doesn't set into us in the way we do ministry. Somebody say amen. Number four, Jesus saw that the church's works were faulty before God. So that tells us that we must do what's right. We must do it because it's right. We must do it for the right reason, and we must do it in the right way. All right? He's checking. Right? I, I, I don't want... I don't want to do the right thing for the wrong reason and have no reward. All right. He's not only checking did the pastor come here. OK, check. Um, was he excited about serving me? Check. Did he tell my people the truth? Check. You know what? I went back and fact checked my message on Sunday. I found some things. I'm going to correct them next Sunday. Why? Because I want to get it right. Like, you know, I'll forget that. You know, I mean, the main message was still good, but I had some. Check. I went back and I was just going through my notes. Hey, I missed one. You know, I had listed the names of the genealogy, and in between between Levi and Amram, there was Kohath, and I had I had left him out. I was in my study of like, hold it, hold it, fact check, rewind. I want to do it right. You know, you know, you know. Um, our church isn't now. There, there will be a time when, when you get so big that people will find all of that kind of stuff trying to find something to hang you on. Well, if they're not watching, Jesus still is. So I just want to go back and <laughs> clean it up while Pastor still got time. Now, the still the message was still good, okay? But but you, we want to do it right, right? That's the thing about because Jesus is checking, all right. Um, number five, um, their repentance, like the previous churches, was also on a time clock, right? He said, hey, you know, hold fast and repent, or I'm going to come and catch you when you're not ready, like a thief. Now, we've seen this language in more than one church, which tells us something. Sometimes 
people's perspective of Jesus says, well, I got all the time in the world to get my, my act together. And as long as I get it in on my deathbed, then everything's okay. But somehow, Jesus had a time clock that was shorter where he said, I have a certain time to get you to get over this. Right? Um, anybody have a car that um, next to the speedometer has another dial that goes up? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know what that's called? It's called a tachometer. It, you've seen it. And it's measuring your engine RPMs. We're seeing one of those, right? Some cars have them, right? Um, that word when he says he's coming quickly is the word tachus. Same, that means because a tachometer goes, because your engine revs faster than the actual speed moving forward. You didn't know that, right? And so what he's saying, when he's saying he's coming quickly, zoom, <laughs> he's coming, he's moving. Okay, what, Pastor, why is that is so important? Because sometimes we think we get all, we get all the time. We, we, we want to play until we get tired and then say, okay, now I'm going to repent. And Jesus actually makes sure that you got it and know it. But after a while, he's like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm expecting you to get past this and move on and move forward. All right. That's a concept we see over and over again. All right. Um, what we don't want to have is it just be dead. And then there's only a few live parts around us. But I, I was studying that. And uh, I, I wrote this down in my notes. Even a broke clock is right twice a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we, we don't want it to just be that, um, you know, there's only that we're fundamentally dead and just got a few things going that, that God approves of. Okay. Um, number six, even though the church was dead, there were some living believers who weren't contaminated with the gangrene of that congregation. Jesus promised to save them. All right. So that tells me, even though we're in here together, you still got to go for what you know. I still got to go for what I know. Right. We're in here together. We want the church to do it. But at the end of the day, if you know some people's going wrong, don't go with them. Go with the ones that's going right. Okay. Number seven, those that were alive and holy would wear white garments before God and wouldn't have their name blotted out of the book of life. Thank you, Jesus. That's what I want. All right. That means that some people, your name can be blotted out. If he, if he said these things, a person had to overcome to not be blotted out. That means if you didn't overcome, there was some people that was getting erased. Now, we haven't even got to the prophetic part of the scripture, but that by itself is a big deal because there are some churches that don't believe that that even happens. There's no way you can't lose what God's giving. Well, then why did he say he? it wasn't my eraser? I wasn't the one that came up with that, right? Jesus, this is Jesus' words. So that's telling me that um, I've got to really be circumspect be sensitive to how I walk with God. Be sensitive to how I do the thing that he called me and created me for. Because I don't, I don't want to think I got it together and then he be seeing something completely different. 
right? I, I don't want to think I really got my act together. And he'd be on the sideline saying, man, I don't know what that dude think he's doing. He, he, is not, he is not ready. And number eight, Jesus would confess them before the heavenly father. And that's what we're looking for. I want to own him before men because I want him to own me before his father. Got it? All righty. All right. So that was the first church. Okay, we're doing pretty good for time. All right, let's talk about the church of Philadelphia. Most times when people are looking through the seven churches, most, pe most people want their church to be like the church of Philadelphia because this was the one that, that had the least um, the, it was the most positive without negative. Now, you could say the same thing about Smyrna, but Smyrna was the persecuted church, and most people don't want to be persecuted. So nobody signs up for that one. Okay, I'm, I'm just saying. All right. Um, let's look at it. Revelation 3, we're going to read 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your work. See, I have set before you an open door, an open door. We'll see that phrase um, in some of the later chapters. And so just keep that in mind that Jesus is the one that has the key that opens doors that no man can shut. Right. I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. The only the only real negative thing he said is that their strength was small, but they hung on with the strength that they had. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. All right. So this one gave a picture of people that were being delivered out of trial. All right. Now, Lord, why did they get delivered out and the other one's different? Okay. All right. That's questions I ask when I'm talking to Jesus. Verse 11. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So here's the eight things that we'll think about when we at the church at Philadelphia. First of all, Philadelphia had been set up as um, set up as a missionary city to carry the Greco-Roman culture to the regions around it. It was specifically situated where it was to be a place that expands that empire, okay? Like Smyrna, it had suffered a major earthquake that left people lacking confidence in the structural integrity of city buildings. So it had, in its history, had a major earthquake. And so sometimes people wouldn't stay as um, there as much as as they needed to um, in some of the early phases, and it's just some history there, um, because of the integrity of the buildings, and people just didn't have confidence that the buildings wouldn't fall down on them. All right, number two, Jesus reveals Himself as holy, 
true and possessing the key of David. And the key of David, the key of the house of David is one of the kingdom keys that specifically Jesus has that says that he shuts doors that no one can open and opens doors that no one can shut. All right. Number three, Jesus knew this church was faithful in works and had set an open door for missionary ministry before them because of where they were situated, because they were on a major road that connected east to west in the empire. They were specifically suited to actually spread the gospel over that region just because of the location. All right. In other words, um, when God considers your missionary assignment or your ministry assignment, he considers everything that goes into where you are and what you do, not only your, your internal condition, but the external condition. Like one of the things that we're really working to do is leverage, you know, to have an international ministry from a local place is we're leveraging the Internet. Right. Um, why? Because Colossians 1 says that all things were by him by Jesus, for him. All things are by him, for him. So we want to use every advantage we have to preach the gospel, right? Now, the thing that, now, now see, think about Jesus' first coming. Before his first coming, Rome had taken that whole area and made it basically the Roman Empire, and there were roads connecting all of these places. And they had a picture of the, the world had a picture of a king God called Caesar. So that when he introduced these concepts, the world was ready for it, and he God used the technology that was available to help spread the gospel. Right. It was the Roman. Um, it was the Roman taxation that drove them to, to go to Bethlehem to be taxed and to be registered in the census. Right. And so um, the, the disciples would go along when the church was persecuted. They would travel along the Roman roads to preach the gospel. We want this church because uh, Jesus was saying you have some advantages that other churches don't have. And I'm giving you an open door to take advantage of all the tools and technologies available to you to spread the gospel around that region. Amen. All right. Um, number four, the church at Philadelphia was was known as having only little strength, but with that strength, they had not denied his name. All right. Uh, five, the church of Philadelphia had also experienced Jewish persecution. Unlike Smyrna, Jesus committed to turn around their persecution and make them the head. Now, remember, Smyrna, they, it had a synagogue of Satan that was also doing a thing to them. Now, Lord, why they get to turn around and we didn't. If I was at Smyrna, if I was reading the letter, I'm just saying, if I was the pastor of Church Smyrna, what I would ask him is like, Lord, why they get to turn around and I didn't? You know, as a pastor, I sit around and look at churches. And I ain't player hate and I ain't mad at nobody. But since God is no respected person, sometimes I'm asking him like, well, he get the hook up and I didn't. 
see y'all not being you see yeah yeah y'all not have you ever asked the lord like why she got that and i didn't why why did this work i'm i'm trying to you know i'm sowing my seed i'm trying to do this i'm trying to get this and it seemed like it's working for them but i can't quite get my turn around anybody beside me ever asked god those kind of questions i mean you know if I was in Smyrna, if I was pastoring in Smyrna and I read the letter from John because he sent the letter to all the churches and I read what he said to Philadelphia, I'd have been like, hold up, hold up, hold up, Jesus. Like, why they get to turn around and I can't get it. Look at John 21, 18 through 23. What I'm coming to realize is. What God has for you is for you. And um, I wish because he's no respecter of persons. Doesn't mean he doesn't have a specific calling for you that's different from them. You know, I'm looking at church growth, man, I look at everything like who's doing what, how is it working? You know, I, I done told you, I drive past churches on Sunday and, and see how many cars are in the parking lot. I, I, now, that may not be big to you, but as a pastor, that matters. I'm just saying. And I be sometimes I'm driving, I'm like, come on, Jesus. Can't you just hook a brother up with just a few more peoples? But sometimes you got to deal with Whatever God has for you. And, and listen, I'm not there jealous of them. I'm just asking them, I mean, can you send a few more my way? The, the Lord asks to the church daily as such as she'll be saved. Ask them over here to Destiny Generation. And if you want to reassign some of them, you can send me a few too. I'm just, okay, all right, all right. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just trying to be real with you. All right, John 21, 18 through 23. This is, this is, this is, what uh, Jesus speaking to Peter after he told Peter, do you love me three times in the feet of sheep? Verse 18 says, most assuredly, I say to you, talking to Peter, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he, Peter, would glorify God. And when he had spoken thus, this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, meaning he saw John, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, um, who is the one who betrays you? That was John. Peter, seeing him, said to, to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Lord, I know what you told me about me, but what you going to tell me about him? Jesus said, if I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went about among the disciples that this disciple John would not die. Yet Jesus did not say that he would not die. But if I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? Each church, just like each individual, has its own destiny. You know what? Sometimes you're plowing and you like, Man, seems like everything he doing just turned to go. I can't quite get my flow to go the same way. 
And the Lord, and sometimes you look at <laughs> you look at God and say, God, what, what about me when I see theirs? And he's like, no, no, no. I, they got to do what I'm telling them to do. And you got to do what I'm telling you to do. Do you, you see how that's a personal thing? And I can't, I can't, can't player hate, you know the term player hate? Can't player hate for them, but I'm still doing whatever he's called me to do. Sometimes you just wishing your turn would come. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, like, like, yeah, I mean, and um, it'll take, it's going to take all you got to do what God's calling you to do. Right. So we all have to be faithful. And the church at Philadelphia, because of its opportunity, because of its call, had a specific thing that the Lord wanted to do with them that was different than what God wanted to do with Smyrna. Now, listen, whatever you go through, you get rewarded for doing your assignment. Right. God had sent Jonah to Nineveh and he decided he wanted to take a ship to Tarsus. OK. That's just like God telling you to do the even problems, but you want to do the odd ones. You're not going to get graded. You're not going to get a good grade doing the wrong problems. Right? So you can't look at what other people's assignment is and then walk away from what he's telling you to do. Whatever he's telling you to do is how he's going to get glory from your life. And whatever he gets glory from your life is how he's going to give you your reward. All right? Um, this church, number six, Jesus committed himself to delivering this church from global tribulation. Jesus encouraged them to stay in faith so that the crown they had would not be taken away. All right. So even this church had to hold on to what he has because the enemies like nobody's getting in scot-free. If you go, if you're going to make it to heaven, you're going to do it on purpose. Enemy's going to try to take what you got, and you can't let him. Finally, the overcomer. Remember I said that they had been used to buildings crashing because of the earthquake. He said the overcomer would be made a pillar in the house or the church of God throughout all eternity, meaning you can't be shaken out. Right? And they would have the name of God and the name of the new Jerusalem given to them, and also Jesus' new name. Hallelujah. All right. Okay. So we see these two churches. One more. Man, we're making really good time today, aren't we? Praise the Lord. Sometimes pastor take a long time to get there, but this day we're getting through three churches. Hallelujah. All right. Now let's look at um, the third church, the church at Laodicea. Now this is the church. Nobody ever says, I really want to be the Laodicean church. Right. This is always, you know, there's always the one that most people want. And then there's the one that nobody wants. This is usually the one that nobody, nobody wants. Um, and to the angel, we're reading from verse 14 to verse 22. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says he that says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. You mean to tell me it would be better for me 
to be ice cold or red hot, not somewhere in the middle, just making it. Sometimes when I look at people's marriages, that's how I see them. That's a story for a different day. It's not that it's either we in it or we're not, but we somehow we just we just living together. We just existing. And, you know, there's something about that that should not be satisfying to you. You know what I mean? Like, like, shouldn't we want to be together? Shouldn't we want shouldn't it be more than we just, you know, enduring one another or it's just cheaper for us to stay together than to get apart no man you didn't get married for it to be like that come on hold it but the same thing is true spiritually some people they don't want to backslide they don't want to go to hell no man i want my fire insurance (laughs) okay but they don't, they don't have the passion for the Lord that they once had. They've gotten lukewarm. All right, now look at verse 16. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I, Jesus, will vomit you, you lay the sins, out of my mouth. Now listen to the things that took their attention, that caused them to believe that they was okay. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Oh, they church didn't have a money problem. Oh, man. And they had a debt-free confession. I'm out of debt. My needs are met. I have plenty more to put in store, to help the poor. I mean, they had a good confession. They was was saying, they they had a faith confession. I am rich and have need of nothing. Uh Uh-oh, but Jesus is seeing something different. And you, and do not know that you are, this is heaven's perspective, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Lord, see, the scripture says, hold fast your confession or profession of faith. The word confession or profession, one one Greek word is homologia. Homo means same. Logia means words. So confession is to say the same words that Jesus is saying. It's not a it's not a biblical confession if you saying you rich but he's saying you poor. Now we teach people to make confession. By the stripes of Jesus I'm healed. You're supposed to confess the word. If you confess the Lord Jesus, you're supposed to say what the Lord says. But I want him to be saying, "Yeah, I'm saying the same thing. I'm supposed to be agreeing with him." And I don't want to have a confession, but have a condition that he says, you will never get there from here, bro. You, 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 you not going to get there from here. Now look at verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Now this can't be physical money because they already had the money. So this is spiritual. 
and white garments, garments being being clothed in righteousness. That means somewhere they, they live in wasn't right. White garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. So they were spiritually like Adam and Eve. After they sinned, they were spiritually unclothed. But they was looking at their suits saying everything is all right. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Oh, they thought that they could see, but he told them that they was blind. And if they keep being blind, following people that are blind, that they was all going to fall into the ditch. Now look at verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous, be zealous. That word zealous, zeal talks about white hot fervor. In other words, turn your own heat up. Sometimes we want the church to heat us up, and he's saying you got to turn your own heat up. Get you some own fire. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold. Look, look, look. That's what the word behold means. Look. Y'all in church, but I'm on the outside. Behold, I stand at the door of the church. And not hold it, stop, Jesus, how we call ourselves having church and you on the outside can't get in. Like when I read this, this that, that, means <laughs> that we could possibly be having church saying all the right words and Jesus could be on the outside saying, man, I wish I could get up in there. I wish I could. Right. That, that's very, that should be unnerving to all of us, right? We don't ever want to come to the place where we say it's called by his name, right? Where two or three are gathered together in his name, and there he is in the midst of us, and we be making all these confessions, and he's sitting on the outside. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And then we like, who's that at the door? Remember, they was praying for Peter and Peter was outside. They like, no, he can't be out there. Right. We don't want to be that kind of people from a spiritual perspective. Behold, I stand at the door. Knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So they had the opening of the door. The door opening was with them and not him. By how they responded to his call to repent. To him that overcomes, I will grant to sit on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the church. So they still had a chance to get it together. They still had a chance to get it together because, and, and that's the great thing about each of the churches, because he told them, even though I'm calling you out, you still have a chance to overcome. Thank you, Jesus. Show me, show me while I got time to fix it. Don't, don't wait. Until I'm dead and my work don't mean nothing and then I'm lost for eternity. Show me while I can fix it. Show me 
how I can overcome the situations that I'm dealing with. So um, there is, you know, in, in the parables, they called it the deceitfulness of riches. Some people confuse gain with godliness. Because you got this and that, you think everything okay. And this church would have looked down at the Smyrna church and said, man, that little struggling church over there, they can't put two nickels together. God bless them. But we got it together. We can have our building program. We got everything we need. There was, there was no, you know, when I went back and did the study, some churches had persecution and stuff. There was no statement here that, that anybody was messing with them. So they could do things that other churches couldn't do. But somehow, in the midst of their prosperity, their, 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 their connection with God had gotten cool. All right, so that's the thing we want to be careful of. Now, let's look at here eight points about the church at um, Laodicea. Eight keys, and then we're done for today. Number one, Laodicea was near Colossae and Hierapolis. Right? So it's 11 miles from Colossae and six miles from Hierapolis. And Colossae was where the Colossian church was, okay? It was along a great trade route connecting the east to the west. And because of its location for trade, it grew and became, a very, became very prosperous as a city. Let's look at Colossians 4, 12 through 13. Paul is talking. Um, he was certainly at a church at, at Coloss Colossae. And he actually... Um, um, in, in, the, in the rest of this chapter in, in the book of Colossians, he actually wrote a letter not included in Scripture to the church at Laodicea. Let's look at Colossians 4, 12 and 13. Epaphras, which is one of, which is one of you, meaning he was from Colossae, uh, a Colossian, a bondservant of Christ, which means he had been in prison, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he has great zeal for you, great zeal, great zeal for you, for those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis, because that was a kind of a tri-city region, all right? Number two, Laodicea, because of its location, because of all of its advantages, became known for banking, which means they had a lot of gold. Manufacturing, it had a lot of wool and the garments that came from wool and medicine producing salve that, that helped you both with your eyesight and with your hearing. Its one weakness was that it lacked water. On the other hand, Hierapolis was known for having hot springs. In other words, because there was you know, volcanic activity, there was some hot springs in the area where people would come to take saunas. So if they wanted a hot bath, you went to Hierapolis. Got it? So here's all these rich people in big houses, but if they want to get a hot bath, they had to go to Hierapolis. On the um, Colossi, on the other hand, was known because it has some cold springs. So some people like, you know, cold showers cold baths. And so if they wanted that, they had to travel the distance from their big house and go to, to Colossae to get the cold bath. 
All right. Number four, to resolve this weakness, an aqueduct or a water system was built to pipe water from Hierapolis. Unfortunately, by the time the water arrived to Laodicea, the water went from hot to lukewarm and nauseating. They got the water, but they couldn't, they couldn't keep the heat. The heat, the heat source, watch this, the heat source was too far away. Got it? If I put Jesus where he's, you know, I'm, I'm related to him, but I keep him far away. Then I, I, I become in danger of being a lukewarm believer. Right. Number five, Jesus refers to this as the spiritual condition of the church, though it had physical prosperity and wealth and had a confession to match, it was spiritually poor, blind, and naked. Whew. See, I've never really, like, done this kind of in-depth study on these seven churches, but it's forcing me to ask some real tough questions when I look at them one right after the other, Right? Now, your pastor believes in prosperity. I believe that Jesus has an anointing. He said he came to preach the gospel to the poor. And that there is an anointing to prosper. It's, show, it's clearly in scripture. I'm not making it up and I don't have to make it up. I don't have to steal. I don't have to do something. And, and, and listen, I went the prosperity I have. I got from the word of God. I got by standing in faith. I study principles in the word of God, you know, I mean, and the Lord bless me. But I don't want, I don't want money. I don't want to conf confuse gain with godliness. Okay, that's what we don't want. And we don't want to get lulled into a condition where we think because our money's right, everything is all right and something be wrong. Right? So that's that's an issue because sometimes, you know, once you get your money right, man, you know, after a while, you know, like you'll be you'll be there praying like when money's not right. You spend a lot of time praying. <laughs> Jesus, you know, <laughs> you know, Jesus can't work it out. <laughs> Telephone disconnect, waiting for my next paycheck. We got all of the songs about Jesus working it out when we ain't got money. And when we got money, we're like, man, we cool. But we got to make sure. What did it say in the Old Testament? It said, it said, it said, you got to be careful. He said, now the Lord will prosper you to get wealth. The Lord will prosper you. It didn't said the Lord give you power to get wealth. He said, but be careful. That when you get comfortable with the wealth that you've gotten, that that wealth doesn't lull you into not serving God or to believe that you got that stuff on your own. All right. Now, listen. On a global scale. Everybody in this church is is mega wealthy on a global scale. Now, you might not be wealthy on American standards, 
but a bad day in America is better than a good day in a lot of countries. Okay, so before you start saying, well, he talking about Brother String Bing, because I know he got more money than I got. No, he talking about you, too. Because on a global scale, right, they were taking advantage of what was in their society. And our society, even when you're not making it, you can make it even when you're not making it in the USA. Right now, I don't like everything that's going on in our political process, but God bless the USA. <laughs> OK, OK, we can make it. But we can't let even these things that we have naturally available to us to get us to the point where we are not serving the true and living God with the right kind of fervor and the right kind of heat. We don't want to be where he's over there, we're over here, and we can't, he can't get the heat to us. All right? That was their condition. Number six, Jesus counsels them to really seek true wealth, healing, and clothing from him. Lord, my relationship with you is worth more than gold. If I got to choose between my money and you being my master, I, I need you. Okay. I'm, I mean, being, being in a position that you consider me clothed is better than this jacket I got on. Now, my wife liked to see a pastor look good. I got more than enough rags. If I didn't shop no more, as long as I didn't gain any weight, you know what? I got more than enough. But listen, I would hate for y'all to see me and think I'm looking good and Jesus be saying the pastor has no clothes on. Does that make sense? Because that's what he told him. They, they were looking at the clothes that they had and he was saying he was seeing them naked. Or I would hate to think that I got a great vision and how we're going to do what we're going to do and reach Flint and do all of these great things and change our community. And Jesus said he just is blind. If he was looking at me spiritually with his optometrist glasses on, you know, is it this one or this one? More or less? Left or right? One or two? Two or one? If he was giving me a spiritual eye exam, I would hate for him to say he's spiritually blind. You know what they say? They say he, he legally blind. He's like he's spiritually blind. So I have to make sure. In, and, and apparently, being in a place that has a lot of prosperity advantage without persecution means that this is the one that we have to be most careful of. You, you know, when you're in a Smyrna and they and they killing Christians for sport, you got to know you got it. You, nobody had to tell you, no, we got to stay. We got to stay in the narrow way when stuff is going bad. That's why we talk about, you know, there was a time when African-Americans, you didn't have to beg them to come to church. Now they want to have all kinds of religions and stuff. You know what I'm saying? So there's something about when we prosper that we get to a certain place that the thing that we needed to get there, sometimes we don't think we need that thing no more. We have to be careful. 
Number six, the part B of that says he advises them and us that he rebukes us because of his love. All right. Sometimes people think that, you know, he loves us. Oh, how he and he loves us and all of that. We can sing all of them songs about a sloppy, wet kiss if you want to. But he calls his love when he rebukes us. Those were his words. God shows us he really loves us, not by giving us sloppy, wet kisses, but by giving us rebukes. Okay, so you want to be okay. This is a revomercial. You know, infomercials are where they give you information and a commercial. I'm giving you a revomercial. All right. You want to come to a church where you get challenged in the truth and can see where you're wrong. You don't want to be in a church where everything's okay and nobody's challenging you. You don't want that because whom Jesus loves, he rebukes. I don't want to be in a church where every where you know nobody I'm never challenged. I don't want that. Cuz I know I'm not that good. I live with me. I know me. I want somebody that can help me see what I'm doing wrong and get it right. Right? And they not hurting my feelings by telling me I'm wrong. They actually showing me I'm 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 showing that I'm I'm God's favorite. Cuz he chasing me. None of the seven churches that he came to, we we almost at the end of the seventh one. None of them that he came to was he was he so ashamed that he wanted to just throw in the towel. All of them, he was given a chance to overcome whatever they were dealing with. So whatever condition he finds us in, he still wants to fix it. He just needs us to do our part. Thank you, Jesus. All right, number seven, Jesus, the head of the church, the possessor of the key of David. Remember what he said? He's the one that opens doors that no man can shut. Describes himself as standing outside of the church and knocking, asking the Laodicean church to open the door and let him in. Wow. We can get to such a spiritual condition that Jesus can't get up in the church. You know, remember one church, he said, I'm going to take and remove the candlestick from his place. Another church, he said, I'm going to come and fight you with the sword that's coming on my, out of my mouth. This one, he's so far, they so far gone, they on the outside, and he can't get up in there. You know, some we, people have churches that have become come insulated clubs to the point that visitors don't feel welcome. You know, I'm very sensitive, you know, because sometimes um, people can make visitors feel unwelcome way before I can get to them. They, the usher can jack you up at the door. They can jack you up in the parking lot. And Lord, don't let you sit in one of our seats. People feel some kind of way. You know what I'm saying? And then 
And then, you know, you bring in a family, they got kids and stuff, and the baby don't. I'm like, no, we're not going to make, no, I ain't going to have people feeling some kind of way because they, no, Jesus, I'm asking him to go to church, and then people, he's sending folk, and then I make them feel like they don't belong. Stop that. And if I find out you're doing it, I'm going to deal with you. I done gave you a warning. I am. Okay. Now, but but we could get to a certain spiritual condition where Jesus don't even feel like he want to be up in church. And we have to be careful in a place that has prosperity. That's not the case. Now, I don't, you know, Sister Cassin, can I talk about you for a second? Okay. So, so Sister Cassin comes from, from a third world country. I know they have real church up in there. I don't even have to be there. You know, people that really have need know that they need God. Right? They, they, <laughs> listen, they go, they, they, they'll, they'll go miles and miles walking to get there, and they'll do everything they can to be there, and they're going to go for it. And so we have to be careful that, you know, we don't get low like, man, do I got to go to church tonight? I mean, Jesus, <laughs> we got to be careful. You know what I'm saying? We got to watch that. Jesus is great. Now, listen, you ain't doing it for my, you're you, you not doing it for me. We don't need to create an environment that makes Jesus not want to be up in here. I don't want us to do something and get so comfortable with what God is doing that he doesn't feel like he's appreciated in church. The church that he bought with his own blood. And we have to, this, you know, because of the things that we are, we're, we're, there is no other country that, that better fits the economic conditions of Laodicea than the United States of America. Okay, so we got to be careful. I'm asking myself some hard questions, all right? So I want you asking yourself some hard questions too. Finally, finally, number eight, the promise to the overcomers that, that Jesus, even though you had left him out, you opened the door, he would dine with you, grant you to sit with him and his father on thrones. Praise the Lord. There is still, even if you have a situation where you where you real cold, if you turn up your own heat, that's what the word zealous is. If you turn up your own heat, and you can, if you turn up your own heat, open the door, let Jesus come in with you, connect with him, reconnect with him, reestablish the passion. The thing that got you up excited when you first got saved, got you up in the morning, made, made you want to read your Bible, made you want to get on your face and have a devotion. And not just, and see, this is, this is the pastor's issue, not just to come and prepare a message for people. And I'm not talking to y'all now, I'm talking to me now. 
If I'm not careful as a minister, I got an assignment. I got, you know, I got a calling. I got to be diligent. I got to study. I got to do all of these things for y'all. But he's saying, hold it, pump the brakes. I'm, he, I am, he is more to me than just helping me get ready to deal with you. Now, he wants me to deal with you right. He wants me to study right, okay? You know, and, I'm, and when I'm plowing new ground like this, you know, I got to go and really put some, man, I got to put some work in on this stuff because you got to work that stuff. It don't, it don't flop out the Bible. You got to go, Lord, what this is, okay? But then he don't want me to do all of that and then saying, okay, I'm doing all of that to serve you and not have anything of connection with him. Does that make sense? And, and right, Apostle, that's, that's a minister's challenge. That's a real minister's challenge. And so um, I'm praying that as you look back with the information we've given you about these seven churches, that you, we start to ask the question. Now, I can't say which one is us. I didn't even have the things about the lay of the sea and being us. But I'm telling you, when I got here, that's what I heard. We have to watch American churches. Right. Because we can have so much and then still be so poor. All right. 